Thank you for joining me for worship today. Today is the fourth Sunday in the Lenten season. Our order of service will begin, oh, looking at the service of word and sacrament that begins on page 26. But for right now, we'll sing hymn number 488, Savior Thy Dying Love. sinfulness and ask him to forgive us. Holy and merciful Father, I confess that I am by nature sinful and that I have disobeyed you in my thoughts, words, and actions. I have done what is evil and failed to do what is good. For this I deserve your punishment both now and in eternity. But I am truly sorry for my sins and trusting in my Savior, Jesus Christ, I pray. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, our Heavenly Father, has been merciful to us and has given his only Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Therefore, as a called servant of Christ and by his authority, I forgive you all your sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 
works of the Lord are great and glorious. His name is worthy of praise. Chapter 8, verses 1 to 10, a reading which 
talks about our justification through faith. It talks about the beautifulness of the gospel because as it begins, there's no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. Paul wrote, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. Let's sing our next hymn, hymn number 129, Alas and did my Savior bleed.
Jesus, God's Son, purifies us from all sin. Amen. The Word of God we want to consider this fourth Sunday in Lent is our Gospel reading from Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 to 28. Matthew writes, Now as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be flogged, to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day he will be raised to life. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and, kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at the left, your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with, their two bro with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercised authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom, for many. Let's bow our heads for prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, who art our strength and our salvation. Amen. My dear fellow Christians who want to live for Christ, a Christian we could say is a person who wants to live his life without really calling attention to himself for his deeds. Now, sometimes our selfishness and our sinful nature wants to call attention to ourselves and our deeds, but the, the Christian nature in us, it doesn't want to bring glory to ourselves. There was a pastor, Jean Frederick Oberlin, well-known Lutheran pastor from the 18th century who served in, in, the, in Germany. This pastor recorded an account, encounter he had one time with a person who had that kind of a selfless nature, a servant attitude. What happened is that, well, Pastor Oberlin was out walking and a snowstorm came along, a blizzard came along that totally disorient, 
oriented him. He didn't know where he was. He didn't know which direction he was headed. And finally, in frustration, what he ended up doing is just sitting down on the ground, not knowing what would end up happening. And thankfully, what happened is that a passerby in a wagon saw him, stopped, rescued him, and took him to a nearby village and made sure that he was going to be cared for. But when he realized, when he had him ready to be cared for like this, the, the stranger was ready to head on to his destination. But as he was preparing to leave, Oberlin said to him, tell me your name so I may thank God for you. The stranger actually recognized the pastor and to the request he said, you are a minister, please tell me the name of the Good Samaritan. Oberlin thought about that for a second and said, I cannot do that, it's not in the Bible. And well, to this the benefactor responded, until you can tell me his name, please permit me to withhold mine. And wouldn't you say that this man's attitude was like that of Jesus Christ? When, when Jesus Christ came into this world, he didn't come into this world with the intention of saying, I wanna make a name for myself. Actually, what he did is he came into this world to serve us. Now, he did make a name for himself because of what he did, but, but his real purpose was to serve us, to be our Savior. And likewise, we would have to say that our God, he put us into this world, not because he wants us to make a name for ourselves, but because he wants us to learn about the Savior. He wants us to know about his grace and love and he wants us to serve one another, to live our lives for our Savior. So today, what we want to learn about is life for the children of God. Life for the children of God. And, and as we look at what life is for the child of God, we'll see how Jesus predicts his life and how Jesus predicts the lives of his disciples as well. Our reading, it takes us back to before Palm Sunday. Jesus had previously told his disciples on a number of occasions about his suffering and death and resurrection but on one of those occasions, what Mark tells us is this, they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. In our reading, Jesus couldn't have been much clearer about what would end up happening to him. Jesus said, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day he will be raised to life. Jesus was plainly telling us here, telling them that Jesus would be betrayed to the Jewish religious leaders who would 
condemn him to death and then they would hand him over to the Gentiles. Well, we know to Pontius Pilate and the Roman government, which would have the authority to have Jesus executed and, well, understand how that worked because the Jewish government did not have the right to execute anyone. That's why they went to the Gentile leaders so that they could make a public spectacle of Jesus, trying to thoroughly discredit him so that maybe they could stop people from being his followers. Well, he talked about how he'd be handed over like that and Jesus even told them about how he would be raised back to life on the third day on, on Easter Sunday. Even though Jesus knew what was going to happen in the coming days, he still said, we are going up to Jerusalem. But we can notice that when he said, we are going up to Jerusalem, he didn't ask the disciples for their suggestions about this mission. This was God's plan for our salvation, the plan of, well, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God. This is what Jesus had to do to fulfill the Old Testament scriptures. This is what Jesus had to do to save us from sin, death, and the devil, and, and from hell, so that we could have a real life to live. Well, Jesus predicted that his death would come at the hands of both Jewish and Gentile leaders, at the hands of both what was supposed to be God's people and, and godless peoples. And their actions on the part of the Jews and the Gentiles, it just reminds us of the innate hatred of all human beings for the Lord an innate hatred that all of us possessed. And the fact of the matter is, is that all people, even church-going people, individuals like us, we carry within us that same innate loathing, inborn loathing for the Son of God, for the true God, we have the same thing that would be in those people who are the wicked and the unbelieving in the world. And, you know, the Apostle Paul, he said, the sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Now, by the grace of God, what we have is a new man, that faith side of us that wants to live for our Savior, that loves God and loves everything that God is all about. But this side of heaven, we're always going to have our sinful nature, the sinful mind that he talks about that's hostile to God, that hates God, that has that innate hatred toward our God. We need to recognize that that's what's inside of us, this side of heaven. Thankfully, when the Lord takes us home to heaven, that hatred toward God, totally gone forever, totally gone forever. But every one of us, believers, unbelievers, 
Everybody has that hatred for God naturally in that, in our sinful nature. And even though we all have that, yet think about what Jesus did. Think about what he did. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross, for us who have that hatred toward him. The NIV, the New International Version, heading of this section, the opening verses of our reading is, Jesus predicts his death, and actually it's interesting that that section doesn't really talk a whole lot about his death when you get right down to it. There is the word crucified there. The word death is also there once, but, but apart from that, what Jesus is doing here is predicting his life, the things that Jesus would be doing during his life to be our Savior, how he would be suffering, how he would be abused in order to pay for our sins. And then it does talk about how he would be crucified. There's his death. But then Jesus said, on the third day he will be raised to life. Now, because Jesus accomplished his mission, because he successfully paid for our sins, because he paid the wages of sin, which is death for us, well, once again, Jesus, the child of God, well, there was life for him again. He was raised back to life. And, and therefore, what we can also do is rest assured that because he lives, because Christ lives, we shall also live forever through faith in him. There was a native of China who was learning about Christianity, but couldn't really understand how Christianity is superior, is better than Confucianism or Buddhism. Now, remember what our world does falsely teach, of course, is that basically all religions are basically the same thing and they all result in a person going to the same place. Well, that's what the world falsely teaches. But then, then one morning what happened is that this Chinese man learning about Christianity, he came to the to a missionary in a happy mood and said to him, I dreamt I had fallen into a deep pit where I lay helpless and despairing. Confucius came and said, let me give you advice, my friend. If you get out of your trouble, never get in again. Buddha came and said, if you climb up to where I can reach you, I will help you. And then Christ came. He climbed down into the pit and carried me out. And now see, that's what our Savior did for us. Only Christianity has a Savior who lived for us, living the life that we couldn't live, the perfect life we couldn't live, a Savior who died for us and won the victory for us again and 
won the victory for us so that we can look forward to living forever in heaven with him. And he rose from the dead. He did everything and took care of everything for us. Supposedly Buddha and Confucius, well, they'll help you out a bit. But Jesus did it all for us. After Jesus mentioned all that he was going to have to endure, how he would suffer, how he would be the servant, suffering servant for us. What happened is that Salome, the mother of James and John, came to Jesus to ask him for a favor. And when she asked for a favor, Jesus asked her, what is it you want? And really, that's a key question that each of us needs to hear our Savior asking of us. What is it you want? What is it we want? And there may be many things in this world that we may want or long for, but when you get right down to it, really there's only one real thing that we really want, and that's what our faith side of us really wants, our great desire is for the salvation of our souls. And I guess we'd also say for the salvation of everyone, especially those people that we, that we know and love. Salome answered Jesus' question, what is it you want? By saying, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in the kingdom of heaven. More than likely, what had happened here is that you know, before this, the disciples on a couple of occasions at least, they argued amongst themselves about which of them was the greatest of the disciples. And well, maybe because of that arguing, what happened is that these two disciples, James and John, thought, well, what we'll do is we'll send our mom to talk to Jesus and maybe she can use her inside connection to talk to him and to get this request. Salome probably was the sister of Jesus' mother and, well, thinking she could use her influence to get these positions of honor for them. Well, Jesus said to those two, Sons, can you drink the cup I am going to drink? With that word cup, what Jesus was really referring to is everything that he was going to have to endure, all the suffering that he would have to endure in order to pay for our sins. And, well, when you think about it, James and John, they couldn't suffer and die like our Savior to pay for our sins. They couldn't even come close to suffering enough to pay for sins. They couldn't come close to enduring what Jesus endured. But at the same time, Jesus did have to say to them, you will indeed drink from my cup. And especially after Jesus' ascension and Pentecost, well, the coming of the Holy Spirit. After that, after those things happened, then the disciples did end up facing growing persecution 
of the original 12 apostles, Judas, of course, excluded. According to church tradition, only the apostle John died a natural death. All the others died as martyrs, and Matthias, who was Judas's replacement, and the apostle Paul, all of them died as martyrs according to church tradition. They died for the sake of Christ. But of course, when they died, they weren't carrying all the sins of the whole world with them when they were martyred. For that matter, they weren't carrying any sins at all because Jesus carried their sins for them and, and for us. Jesus said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. In the world in which we live, there's really this constant power struggle that's going on to see who's at the top. Well, we're in the middle of March Madness right now in the NCAA tournament, basketball tournament. You got the World Series, you got the Super Bowl, and that reminds us of that power struggle. Hopefully, those power struggles all ultimately end up being done in, in fun. Unfortunately, we Christians in our world also deal with power struggles in this world that are some real terrible power struggles like the war in Ukraine or, or think about the political turmoil that keeps going on around us. Well, Jesus said, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Life for us as the children of God, it's not a constant power struggle in which we're striving to be on top or in which we're striving to stomp on other people and knock them down. Rather, our lives are ones in which we're always looking for ways to serve others, to serve our God, to serve family and friends and neighbors as our Savior did, remember, on the night before he was crucified, on the night that he was betrayed. That night, because none of the other, none of the disciples had thought about taking care of the job of washing Jesus' feet and the disciples' feet, well, what happened is that Jesus got down on his hands and knees, and he washed the disciples' feet. He did that job himself. Life for us as the children of God is, is therefore following Christ's example so that we aren't just selfishly thinking of ourselves, but that we're always thinking about the souls of those who don't yet know. A writer 
for a major newspaper once visited India. And while he was there, he met a missionary nurse who lived among the lepers and ministered unto them to their needs. And when he saw this missionary nurse, he was just amazed at the, the love and the tenderness and the compassion that she showed for those poor souls. And looking at her love and tenderness and compassion, that reporter commented, I wouldn't wash their wounds for a million dollars. Her response, neither would I. But then she said, but I gladly do it for my Savior. <laughs> and now isn't that life for, the, for us, the children of God? That's what it's really all about. Treasuring what Christ has done for us. How he lived and died for us and paid for our sins when, when, when we inside have that innate hatred toward God. But still what he did is he lived and died for us and paid for all of our sins. Well, we so treasure his amazing love for us and and then what we do is we make every effort that we can to share that good news and that love of Christ with our family, friends, and, well, with anyone we can so that they also can know the love of God in Christ. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, shall keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's confess our faith with the Nicene Creed. It's printed on page 31. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became fully human. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who in unity with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let's pray.
Almighty God, Heavenly Father, we confess that we deserve to be punished for our evil deeds, but we ask you graciously to cleanse us from all sin and to comfort us with your salvation. We pray through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. When in our prayers, well, we think about all, all the people who are listed in our prayer list, members of our Calvary family, extended family, dealing with different things while Paula Burris continues to deal with those leg problems and probably will be having bypass surgery to try to get some blood flow and clear up some infection in her legs. We think about Jan Camp continuing to deal with, with cancer and well, at the time of my recording this, I believe Julie, that's Lisa Vanderlee's neighbor, she's been taken off a ventilator and, well, don't know what exactly her shape is right now, if she's still in the land of the living or if she's, if she's with the Lord Jesus. But let's pray for them and, and all the people in our in our church family dealing with different issues. Lord God, if it's according to your will, we always ask you to give healing. But as we always do, we say, especially though, keep on giving your grace and your mercy and love. Help us always to see the love that you have for us and the forgiveness of sins that we have in Jesus. That gives us the strength that we need Oh, to face the valley of the shadow of death and, and to know your strength and to know your help and to get through living in this sinful world. Lord God, give us always your help and your strength. And we gather up all other prayers as we join in praying. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Let's join in singing our prayer for our country. God bless America, land that I love. Stand beside her and guide her through the night with a light from above. From the mountains, to the prairies, to the oceans, white with foam. God bless America, my home, sweet home. God bless America, my home, sweet home.
again, I thank you for joining me for worship today. Just a couple of announcements to share with you quickly in the congregation this week. Well, Monday's Jennifer Drower's birthday. Wednesday, Rich and Tammy Richards have an anniversary. Friday, Sharon Gray has a birthday. Wednesday is our fifth Wednesday Lenten service, midweek Lenten service. Again, we have a soup supper at 5.30 with the service at 6.30. Pastor Paul Lidloff from Emmanuel in Lansing will be here to talk about how Jesus' final steps led to a fig tree. I will be here like usual for a bit of the, the dinner, but then I will be heading on up to Shepherd of the Hills in Lansing for their, their service. I think that's what I have for prayers or for announcements for today. Thank you again for joining me for worship. The Lord bless and keep you always.